Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, well, we'll go ahead and start a little differently. If you just grab a hymnal here real quick. I I got you one right there for you. (laughs) Grab a hymnal there real quick. Number 28, I won't make you sing tonight, although I do like singing. But go to number 28. We we sang this song. It's a familiar hymn, and we sang it on Wednesday night, actually. Uh, This morning during uh, church, we sang what I kind of look at as the uh, modern updated version, so to speak great things. He has done great things. Uh, But this song here, To God Be the Glory, uh, is one of the great hymns of the faith. And it was written actually by Fanny Crosby. How many of you knew that? Fanny Crosby had wrote this uh, hymn. And like many of the other hymns that she wrote that are in our hymnal, um, uh, one of the music composers that was around the same time period as her uh, picked up the words that she wrote and then set it to some music. So William, William Doan there was the one that uh, set it to music uh, that we know of today. And this hymn actually was used quite a bit in the revival meetings of D.L. Moody. Ira Sankey was the uh, song leader for him uh, during, his, uh, during the late 1800s and so forth. And, uh, but the popularity of the hymn, and this is all from the book that, we, that we've been using the popularity of this hymn really took off, though, with the Billy Graham Crusades, and specifically the one in 1954 in Nashville. Uh, Cliff Barrows, uh, some of you are familiar, you know him. He was the song leader for a while for uh, Billy Graham, and he was the one that used this hymn there, in, in that revival anyway, uh, and the popularity of it really grew from the 1950s on. And I, I, I don't know, there's a lot of hymnals that I've seen and looked through. I think just about every hymnal I've ever seen has got this song in it. Uh, and it has a really good message for us, not only just the chorus part of it, or excuse me, the verses of it that were written here, um, but also the chorus itself. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. And the big thing, the title of the hymn, the end of the line there at the top of the next page, give him the glory because he's done great things, great things he has done. And it's just a, a, a good reminder uh, from uh, this hymn writer and this music and this song here, that that's who really deserves the glory and honor and praise in our lives all the time. That's the one that we are, uh, uh, we're living to glorify God. Our, the purpose of our life is to glorify God. Uh, and we do that in a lot of different ways, but we have to remember that that is and should be the primary focus uh, of our life. So that's a good reminder. That whole hymn really is a good reminder for us of just God's the one that's at work. And it's the great things that he has done that we praise him for and give him the glory about that. You can put that away and turn to 2 Samuel now. The reason I bring all that up is because uh, tonight uh, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 8. We've been going through the life of David. And 2 Samuel chapter 8 is a lot of narrative. It's, it's, uh, I don't like using the word story, but I mean, it's a story of what David's exploits were. How the Lord used David to subdue the enemies around uh, Israel, around him and around uh, the new country that he had. Uh, and everything was going well 
because the Lord was with David. The Lord was guiding David. And all the things that were going on, it was God that was giving the victory. And actually, in the midst, and we're going to see it here in just a moment, in the midst of all of this narrative of what's happening, there is at the end of two different verses that the Lord was with David. Sort of like the refrain, the chorus that we just kind of sang of to God be the glory. Great things he has done. It's reminding them of that. And uh, the importance of that is this. Sometimes whenever things are going really well, like maybe you're in charge of something. You're in charge of a ministry or you're in charge of something at work. And it's going really well, let's say. You know, and, and people are like, man, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job at this. You know, this is going really well. Uh, and it's very tempting for us as human beings to say, man, I am doing a good job, aren't I? Look at me, right? But reality being is that God is the one leading and guiding us through our lives. And, and in those times where we're seeing success at things that God is allowing us to do or leading us to do or ministries or things that, at our job or in other parts of our life that are, that, that are having success, we should be giving that glory back to God yep. at all times. And that's really what it is. And, and that's what David here, we can see from chapter number 8. One of the things that we see from that is that David, in those times, he praised God for what was going on in all of these victories, all these successes that he was seeing. He never said, hey, it was me. I'm such a good king. I'm such a good military leader. Look at all the good stuff that's happening. He always took time to praise God, and that's what we're going to see. And so we'll just take a minute here. And, and ben, ben worked. He told me he looked up the names. There's a lot of names in here, y'all. Okay, but he said he looked him up, so we'll go ahead. Ben, if you'll read all of chapter 8 for us. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Second Samuel chapter 8. Um, and it says, After this, David defeated the Philistines, subdued them, and took Methigama from Philistine control. He also defeated the Moabites, and after making them lie down on the ground, he measured them off with a cord. He measured every two cord lengths. Sorry. Um, of these to be put to death and one length of those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's subjects and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadad-Ezer, son of Rehob. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're doing great. Um, king of Zobah, who went to restore his control at the Euphrates River. David captured 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers from him. And he hamstrung all the horses and kept 100 chariots. When the Arameans of Damascus came to assist King Hadadezer of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 Aramean men. Then he placed garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and, of, and the Arameans became David's subjects and brought tribute. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David took the gold shields of Hedadazer's uh, officers and brought them to Jerusalem. King David also took huge quantities of bronze from Betha and Barothai, Hedadazer's cities. When King Toai of Hamath heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hedadazer, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and to congratulate him because David had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Toai and Hadadezer had fought many wars. Joram had items of silver, gold, and bronze with him. King David also dedicated these to the Lord. Along with the silver and gold he had dedicated from the nations uh, he had subdued. From Edom, Moab, 
the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, and the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rehob, Rehob, king of Zobah. David made a reputation for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He placed garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites were subject to David. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people. Oh, boy. Joab, son of Zeruah, um, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Aholod, was court historian. Zodak, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Sarai was court secretary. Ben-Aiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Sherathites and the Pelathites, and David's sons were chief officials. Good, thank you. Well, good job. That was good. Woo. That was good. Praise that was a lot. That was a lot of names. Oh, that was good. Be though. A lot worse. That's right. No, that was good. That was good. That was good. So yeah, no, there are there are a lot of names and a lot of narrative there. A lot of things happening, and I appreciate you reading that. Thank you very much. Uh, all through there. Did you did you catch the two places though, yeah. where God? received the glory for all that was going on, verse 6 and verse 14. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but just to kind of get into the study here uh, of, uh, of this section here, just the first couple of verses, Matthew Henry started off in his commentary on this section of Scripture by saying it this way, and I liked it, so I was going to write it down. It said, he said that David sought first the kingdom of God, and God added to him all the other things. So Matthew Henry sort of taking from Matthew 6.33, the idea there, what was David's focus in all this? It was the Lord. It was the victory that God gave him and, and dedicating the things and making sure that God received the glory and honor uh, for that particular thing as well there. And that's what, that's what Matthew, so I, I really appreciated that he said that. Um, after this begins in chapter 8, and it could very well be, of course, that chapter 8 is just chronological, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, the way that we're reading it. Uh, which is a likely case, but it's not necessarily that way. Chapter 6, 7, and 8 really could be all kind of happening simultaneously. You know, and if you go back to the beginning of chapter 7 that we looked at last week, it says, you know, God gave David rest from all of his enemies round about. So, you know, sometimes chronologically uh, things are given before time and then goes back to explain uh, the events or what's happening uh, a little bit more in detail. And, and when you think about chapter 6 and chapter 7 in a theological sense, it really sets up what, what David's life is. Because chapter 6, even though David started out making a mistake and how he moved the ark, he came back and did it the right way. And then in chapter 7, when he received the no answer from God that we looked at last week, he didn't get all mad and huffy and pout in the corner. He said, praise God for the no answer. I will serve you anyway. And then he was astounded when God said, well, I'm going to make you a house. So there's all these different, you know, ways that we look at it. We say, okay, well, this theological basis here for chapter number eight is that David put God first in his life all the time, at least at this point in his life. He was very careful to give God the glory and to be able to um, place him first over everything else. And that's a very important thing for us to remember as well in our lives. Um, but David does begin with the Philistines there at verse number one and subdued them. And uh, the Philistines uh, were a group of people. I'm going to put this map up here. It may be hard to see. Well, let me turn it on first. That will help. There we go. Maybe a little bit hard to see. Uh, but the Philistines are right here along the coast. All right. And um, 
the, the Philistine people were actually not a Middle Eastern people. They actually came from like Crete and Greece. They were probably more like Western European people that colonized on the coast. Uh, so anyway, they're right there. And um, David starts with them. And they had been, of course, trouble for David and Saul and the Israelites for a long, long time. Uh, and so they, um, they were uh, conquered completely. And David took uh, Metheg Amah there, which actually is another name for the city of Gath. Yeah. So this is Goliath. This is still like David's still got the whole, like he's taken over that area, still conquering that part of Philist, uh, Philistines and that, uh, Philistia, that area there. Uh, and, and when David was young, the Philistines were constantly taking land from the Israelites. And now that David is in this position of authority and God is with him, now the Israelites are taking this land back from the Philistines. Um, and the Philistines, as, a, as an individual identity group of people, were eventually conquered by the uh, Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, when he came through. Uh, and so a lot of their culture and things kind of got mixed in with everybody else that's in the Middle East now. Uh, but they were, uh, that's where they were originally from. And they were not a problem for David, though, the rest of his time as king. They were finally subdued completely uh, while David was there in the Philistines. Then he goes on to Moab. That's num- verse number two. Uh, and a lot of the commentaries will mention this. It's, it's a strange thing because uh, David's great-grandmother, Ruth, was from Moab. You remember that whole, if you go back to the book of Ruth, you know, Naomi and her two sons and her husband, they go in there because there's a famine, and they get married, and then they die, and then they marry, you know, uh, Naomi and Ruth come back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, from there, and she's a Moabitess, and she decides to stay with Naomi. Well, and so we get that, you know, that wonderful picture, and she marries Boaz, and then Boaz and Ruth have Obed, and then Obed has Jesse, and then Jesse has David. So there's that line of people there you can see in Matthew chapter 1, but he was a, she was, uh, Ruth was the great-grandmother, and that was where the family was. And actually, if you go into 1 Samuel, and we won't do that tonight, but if you go to 1 Samuel chapter number 22, uh, while David was on the run from Saul, he actually took his father and mother and says brothers in King James anyway, took them over to the king of Moab at the time and said, will you watch them while I'm on the run from Saul. Uh, and that's where this particular verse kind of comes into play because uh, Jewish commentaries and Jewish people believe that what happened is the king of Moab either treated David's family very harshly or even killed him okay? uh, while, they were, while he was supposed to be watching him. So, you know, I mean, there's not really a verse in the Bible that says what exactly happened to David's uh, immediate family, the parents and brothers and so forth. But uh, that's one um, Jewish uh, commentary on this part of Scripture is that perhaps they were killed by the Moabites, which translates here a little bit to some of the what seems like harshness. And, and, the, and uh, what version is that? This is the Holman. The Holman uh, sort of describes... Um, kind of what was going on there, and different commentaries had different things, kind of making them lay down and measuring them. Yeah. Uh, that was one commentary I read, like, every, every person in Moab that was two lines high, two different lines, they had two measuring sticks, and if they were two measuring sticks tall or two measuring sticks long on the ground, they were killed. So that would only leave children. So now David's got a whole group of Moabites that are younger than him and too small to fight. Uh, I read a different commentary that said maybe what had happened too is that he had done what other military people do at that time and made all the military that survived the battle line up in rows. And he kind of went, one, two, execute them, keep this row. One, two, execute them, keep this row. Kind of went down, like, here's the line, here's the line, two lines, execute, keep this line. 
kind of deal. And that was sort of different standard practices in the military in that day because you got all these military people, they could rise back up. So you make the army smaller than your army, and then they have to um, submit to you, basically. Uh, and so there's, there's the, 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 the things that were there, and the Moabites became uh, the servants of David as well, bringing tribute to him. And then David uh, sees Hadadzer, uh, the son of Rahab there. I, th- I think you did a better job saying it than I did. Uh, and he's going up to this part. Way up here at the very top of this map is part of the Euphrates River. Okay? And it kind of comes down that way. But um, the Euphrates River. And so we're talking about this area here. Hadadzer was coming up to kind of reconquer some territory. And so David takes this opportunity while he's out away from his kingdom, basically, to attack the kingdom and take it over. So he's out. We're going to take it over. All right. Uh, And when he comes back from trying to take the Euphrates River, he hears about the attack. He's coming back. So David defeats him as he's coming back to defend his own territory. And that's where we see, okay, he's got all these chariots. He's got these horses. uh, And he hamstrings them. Yes. You know? Yes. What, hamstring? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually interesting. I had to look that up, too, because I was just curious. I've heard the phrase before, but mm-hmm. it's literally cutting the hamstrings of, of the animals. The, the horses of that day and chariots were, were technically like tanks of, of today, mm-hmm. modern, oh, yeah. uh, modern day. And to hamstring them, hamstring um, the animal, it allowed them to prevent them from being used in, in a great mighty way or mm-hmm. force. So um, there was tons and tons of animals there. He couldn't manage all those, bringing them back. So I think he done them, uh, or he hamstrung all of them except for about a hundred or so, so he could manage those to bring them back. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And so he had to do that. And I mean, again, the other thing is not only because he couldn't manage them, but also the idea there that hey, you know what? If you leave them, yeah, they'll they'll go back. I mean, these guys yeah. will take their horses back and attack you over yeah. again. So, yeah. you know, I know a lot of this stuff is like, man, this is harsh and all, but uh, the reality is, is that he's trying to protect himself. Uh, in the whole uh, event here. Um, will you read Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8? I'm going to read Deuteronomy 17, 15 and 16, because I think there's, a, there's another reason, too, that David is not keeping all of them. Because, like, why not keep all of these horses and chariots? I mean, if these really are the tanks of this day, these are the yeah. things, why not keep them? Why not add them to your army? And Deuteronomy says it, and then we see it in Psalm. I'll read Deuteronomy first. Deuteronomy 17, verse 15 and 16 says this, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto him, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. One thing the Egyptians did is they had a lot of horses and chariots too. Mm-hmm. But he said, do not multiply horses to yourself. And here, Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8. It says, um, some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of Yahweh our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Mm-hmm. And that there, again, because the horse and chariot was such a deadly uh, instrument of war at that time, that is what people were putting their trust and faith in. When these other armies would go out, We've got the chariots. And, and that, was the, that was the deal. Like these chariots, and they had iron wheels. I mean, this would run over mm-hmm. armies that didn't have them. 
And, and, and God said, that's not what you're supposed to put your faith and trust in. You're supposed to put your faith and trust in me. You're supposed to look to me for your help in battle. And if you have all these horses and chariots, you're going to be tempted to put your faith in the wrong place. And David recognized that, I think, not only to his practical reasons, but David recognized the fact that there's a temptation here to put my faith and trust in the wrong place, and so I'm not going to multiply horses to myself. I'm going to trust the name of the Lord alone for the victory. You know, I think one thing through this is, is to see that David was fighting legacy wars. These, these mm-hmm. were people that had been around for a very long time. Oh, yeah. And fighting each other and, you know, couldn't be defeated. Right. And just to go along with, with kind of that, that sentiment there that the Bible was alluding to is that, you know, the, the victory came through God's um, empowerment of mm-hmm. David. And he was used as an instrument. And very quickly he gave God the glory and didn't bask right. in any of those things, which is, is very important. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, right here. Yeah, this would be, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right in this area is where the war is still going on, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is, yeah. Gaza Strip, yeah, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good, yeah. And then look up here. Y'all know geographically what nations these are right now up here? Syria. Yeah, Lebanon's over, you know, you got Syria, uh, Jordan, a little bit of Iraq in the top corner of the Euphrates River, but those nations there still. So what we're talking about here tonight is stuff that's still going on in a lot of ways. Yeah, not, not, until, not until God comes, not until Jesus comes and rules on the throne, yeah. It's going to continue on. But yeah, that, that is, that is where the Gaza Strip is right there. That is Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq. So yeah, these are, these are the same people groups, really, uh, fighting then as they are today still. Um, but yeah, so David does that. David puts garrisons, we read that in there, he's put garrisons in uh, to uh, have a hand in there to keep them underneath uh, his thumb, so to speak, and to have soldiers in place in case of other things. And then we come to verse number six, and it's like the chorus of To God Be the Glory, right at the very end, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And I think that's a really important thing because I, I, that is, again, the recognition of the writer of the book of Samuel, the recognition of David, the heart attitude that, God, you are the one giving me the victory right now. And I've recorded all these victories and all these things that you've done, and now I'm going to stop and take time to praise you and to give you the glory for it. And that's a really important thing for us as well as we're going along. You know, we may be seeing some successes and some things that are happening that are good, but we need to do the same thing. Take that pause, take that break, praise the Lord for it, and, and then uh, continue on as he leads us uh, in that as well. So, but that's where the honor should go. Let's go on now to the next section here, beginning in verse number 7, and we'll see here some spoils of war. The shields of gold, which were the servants of Hadazer, uh, brought them to Jerusalem, uh, and then brought a lot of brass from Betah, from Bethroi. Uh, cities of Hadazer, King David took them, exceeding brass, and then Toai, we'll get to him in just a minute. So he's bringing all this stuff in, he's got these shields, and you had, in your um, modern version there, it said they were the shields of the officers, I think, didn't it That's say right. that? Yeah. The shields of the officers there that were gold. And so I'm sure that, you know, this would have been a pretty impressive thing to look at. And, um, you know, and he's taking time to dedicate it to God. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff, I think, is going to end up being in Solomon's temple going to be end up you he's dedicating it to the lord he's dedicating it uh to the, to god 
as the spoils of war, so to speak, uh, and it would be used, I would say, one day in the temple there. And notice what, in verse number 9, notice what this guy does, King Toai of Hamath. He heard about uh, David uh, smiting the host of Hadezer, uh, and then he sends his son down. He says, hey, go give them some gifts. It's a pretty smart guy, right? <laughs> he says, now, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't need any of this kind of trouble. We're also told that, um, you know, he had some trouble and had fought against Hadadazer as well. You know, so as, a, as two different kingdoms, they were fighting each other as well, just aside from David and his army bringing them in. Uh, and so um, here we have again the whole idea that uh, uh, let's go ahead and preemptively kind of keep this guy at bay. Let's not have him come into our kingdom. Let's give him some gifts. Let's be his friend, uh, and, and we'll be happy, right? The enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Uh, so there you go. Uh, but anyway, but th- that's a good reminder. I like what the... What the, uh, the uh, book had to say about it, but it was the idea that keeping in mind that not, not every person who is an unsaved individual in our world today is automatically going to be hostile uh, towards us as Christians, you know. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's a lot of people I think about, there's a lot of people right now, and I, I'll be really careful about this, but we may agree with them on something. They may not be a Christian, though, but we agree with them in some other point, you know. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of uh, that kind of thing happening here as well, even still today. And so just making sure that we understand, you know, that the real enemy is Satan. The real enemy is our flesh. The real enemy is the devil, uh, not the people around us. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against, it's a spiritual battle uh, that is going on all around us at all the time. What? Exchange of cultures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So he took all these things, the gifts from the king and all the things he brought from the spoils, um, and, and dedicates them to God there uh, in verse number 11, which also King David dedicated to the Lord, the silver and the gold, which he dedicated from all the nations that he had subdued uh, there. And that's the idea again. The victor goes the spoils, right? Uh, and that's an act of worship, really, is what that is. It's acknowledging, you know, God, you have supplied these things, but it's not my might, it's not my strength, and I'm giving it back to you. You know, it's a similar thing as we give an offering and a tithe. You know, we're recognizing that, God, you've given me the ability to go to work. You've given me the ability to have this income, whatever it may be right now in your phase of life. And I'm going to dedicate back a portion of that to you as an offering and praise and worship to you, uh, recognizing that. And that's what David's doing here. He says, God, this is given, given by you. I'm going to give it back to you uh, in praise. Um, you know, one thing I'll add that in, in Sunday school this morning, we were looking at Acts 3, and it was where um, Peter and John were going into the temple, and the lame man was set there by, you know, probably his family, but mm-hmm. certainly somebody took him there. Mm-hmm. And when the people started seeing him jumping and rejoicing, they quickly said, you know, why are you, why are you looking at us as if we did it? And yeah. then they started going into the gospel and preaching. And that is, and, you know, it just rings so true, you know, all the way back throughout Scripture and in since the beginning of time when sin entered the world, um, how that is a, a trap that Satan will use for mm-hmm. us um, whenever you have a victory in ministry or any type of successes or things to that allure of, of mm-hmm. pride and, yep. and those things. And how quickly David here you know, gives it and dedicates it to the Lord to keep that from even being an issue mm-hmm. from, from intervening here is it really shows you how to keep a short account um, of any wrongdoings with God, but also stay 
um, where you can be used as a vessel in you know, any way he sees fit, you know, through his will. That's right, yeah. And we had an opportunity to actually talk about that, too, because the must have been all of the Sunday school curriculums anyway had a lot <laughs> of the same so. thing. So my kids got the same lesson today. But, you know, uh, God used them there in the temple today yeah. to, to, to heal that man. And uh, it was an opportunity for them to tell the gospel. So yeah. a lot of times there's things going on around us. We're seeing successes. What does God want us to do with that? Give him the praise and glory. And then it's an opportunity for us to witness to somebody else yeah. about who he is. And also I think it's really cool how God takes the pride of nations their gold, their silver, and those things. And really, you know, it, he gives them to David, and David dedicates them and puts them into the, for the Lord's service. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, we know from Scripture that, you know, he paved streets with gold. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't have the value that we put into things. So just putting us in our place, so to speak, of what, mm-hmm. who God is and where we are is, is just, I mean, yeah. it's awesome to see that. It is, yeah. And I like what David Guzik said about this uh, particular uh, part of Scripture as well. Um, he And I'm just going to read because it, it was so good. He said, David took the shields of gold that belonged to the servants of Hadadazer. David took what was the glory of the enemy and transformed them into the trophies of the power and goodness of God. The shields of gold were set in the temple and testified to God's work in and through David. And so the, the point that David Guzik was making his commentary was this. God loves to take the people and things that are yeah. the trophies of the devil and turn them into... The, the trophy, so to speak, of his power and grace, of who God is, and transform lives. And I thought about that a little bit this afternoon, too. Like, you know, God takes those things and transforms them into his glory and power. And it could be a person that, you know, before salvation had a really rough life, or it could be a person that had not a rough life. Maybe they were saved at an early age and grew up in a Christian home. But all of those things that God takes and uses is a trophy for his glory and grace, and he changes right. it from what it is, sin, uh, and alienated from God and separated God and changes it into something yeah. that points right back to him yeah. and does that in our lives too uh, all the time. And so I thought that was a really neat thing too as well as David is doing that in, in his life as well. We'll come down to the end of it here, the last few verses, uh, verses 15 to 18. And David, we see him reigning. He's executing justice. He's executing judgment over all the people. Uh, and then he has these um, individuals that are like administrators here, okay? Uh, Joab and Zeruiah and Jehoshaphat and Ahiliad and Zadok and all these different people that are in these different places, which uh, helps him in the ruling and the reigning that God has given to him. So David's acknowledging the source as God. God is blessing his reign with good leadership and having him established on the throne there. And then he delegates these people here. So Joab, what Joab is, is he's the guy that's in charge of the regular army. You know, here's the soldiers. They're drafted. They're enlisted, whatever. That's who he's in charge of. Jehoshaphat, the executive officer. Um, Zadok and Ahimelech. These two guys are the priests. Now, this is, this is going back to 1 Samuel 2, and it's a transition period. Ahimelech and Zadok, both of them are ultimately in the line of Aaron. Aaron's sons were given the right to be the priests, okay? And so um, they're from two different lines, though. So um, Ahimelech was a grandson of Eli. And if you think back into 1 Samuel, little Samuel was told by God 
that Eli's line was going to end because his sons Hophni and Phinehas were not following God. They were stealing from the people. They were stealing from the people going into the temple and then coming right back out. I mean, both ways. They were taken from the people. Uh, and, and so um, his line was going to end. And so this is the end of that line. Ahimelech was the uh, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, and he is out as the high priest. Zadok was from the other Phinehas, the one that you read about in Numbers, who was the grandson of Aaron. It's Aaron, and then Eleazar, and then Phinehas. And he is noted in Numbers chapter 25 for being dedicated to the glory of God and dedicated to following and doing what God wanted him to do, uh, specifically killing two people that were... <laughs> because there was a plague, and they were committing an act of fornication... And, and they were killed for that because they were doing what was against God's will. But it was dedicated. He was dedicated to the glory of God. Uh, and so this is a line showing a group of priests now that are going to be dedicated to a different thing. They're going to be dedicated to following God's will. So Zadok becomes the priest in place of Ahimelech there. And then Benaiah was the leader, kind of uh, the way that was put in one commentary, the kind of like David's uh, mercenaries, his volunteer people that come up that were with him in all of his tra uh, travels and wanderings away from Saul, uh, all that group of people. Benaiah was his name. But all of them helped make uh, David's kingdom just and right. And, and kind of the idea here is this. The people that we place in our lives, the people that we allow in our lives are going to influence us one way or the other. So how are, we, how are we dealing with that? How are the people in our lives? Are they building us up? Are they helping us to grow in our faith? Or are they tearing us down and pulling us away from that? Um, because that is part of accountability. That's part of discipleship. You know, um, discipleship is not always and not only coming in, reading a book, doing a Bible study together or something like that. Discipleship is, I uh, think about the way that Jesus discipled his, those 12. They lived in close proximity for three and a half years, and Jesus taught them. And, and our discipleship is us coming together here. It's also opportunities that we have throughout the week as we are growing uh, Christians helping each other in the body of Christ to become more like Christ. God is using people in the service and in the church around us to uh, make us more Christ-like. That's what that's what God. That's one of the ways that God is discipling us and helping us. You know, and uh, so some of those things uh, that that come along are just spending time with fellow Christians. God will use that in your life to help you become more Christ-like. It's that idea of ironing iron sharpening iron. Christians doing life together, encouraging and helping one another along. And so discipleship can be a formal program with a book study or whatever. But discipleship is also uh, Christians coming together uh, and, and helping each other and encouraging each other along in their life. Okay, I think that's important as well. And Paul also mentions the idea of who you keep around you. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The things that we put in our lives, the people that we put in our lives, uh, can cause us to be either built up for the Lord or, or being torn down for the Lord as well. And that doesn't mean you don't be nice, obviously, uh, and, and cordial and friendly towards all people. But the close inner people that you keep as your really good friends should be those that are helping you to grow in the Lord. So David here is giving us the best example of all. Like throughout the idea of all of these things that God is leading him in, he stops and takes time to give God the praise and glory and to make sure that that uh, is his primary focus. And I think a great example here in chapter number eight, like big picture now, kind of pulling way back, is God's sovereignty in everything. Yeah. God is working at all times. 
and God is the one who gave David rest. God is the one that's establishing his kingdom, um, ultimately so that the fulfillment of that covenant that is in chapter number seven could come about. God told David that I'm going to give you a house. I'm going to build a line of kings for you, and as long as they are following me and doing what uh, they're supposed to be doing, I'm going to continue to establish their throne and keep it uh, in your family and in your line. And, And through that, this is the plan that God is narrowing down to bring about the Messiah. And now we know that Messiah is Jesus Christ. At the time, they didn't know that, but we know now on this side of the cross, we know this side of everything, that that is Jesus Christ ultimately pointing it down. And so God has chosen, out of all the chosen, excuse me, out of all the people of the earth, he chose the Jewish people to be the people through which he worked. And that out of all the families that, that were in the Jewish nation, God chose the line of David uh, there to be the one where, where the Messiah is coming from. And so God is working all the time through these things uh, and giving rest uh, and sovereignty so that he can bring about uh, his plan from the beginning, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Messiah, uh, who would come and rule one day in Jerusalem. Uh, and so it's just a blessing to know that, that God is doing that. And so uh, remembering God's sovereignty also helps us to stop and pause and give him glory, recognizing those things in our life and praise him for what he's done. Anything that you all thought of as we were going through this study tonight or that came to your mind? All right, well, we're going to continue to look through the life of David. Um, I believe that all of the triumphs are over. If I remember from the book, we're about to start about the trouble. So that means uh, that we'll be skipping a couple of chapters in 2 Samuel, and uh, I believe next week we'll be talking about chapter number 11, which is David's uh, crimes. Mm -hmm. David's adultery with Bathsheba is right where that starts in chapter number 11 of 2 Samuel. So um, if you want to this week kind of read through 2 Samuel, you can read chapter 9, chapter 10, and kind of see some more triumphs, and then maybe chapter 11 as well if you want to come and uh, be ready for that. I think it's a two-part series. Chapter 11 is pretty long, so I believe it's a two-part lesson over that. Any other thoughts tonight or, or comments? All right, well, we'll go ahead and pray. Thank you uh, for your attention. I thank you for being here and continuing this study. And uh, we'll, uh, the Lord will, and we'll see you again next week or on Wednesday night. Wednesday night will be missions night and um, Super Bowl and desserts and all kinds of fun things. So plan on coming out for that too. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time you've given us and thank you for an opportunity we've had again to read your word and to study it together. And even the parts of your word, God, that are narrative, uh, we still see you working. We see your sovereignty We see, God, you revealing who you are to us in your word, and and that helps us, God, in our life. And I pray that you'd help us to um, remember to give you the praise, honor, and glory for the things in our lives that you give success in. And as you lead and guide us, God, that we would take that moment and opportunity to praise you so that others are pointed to you through the lives that we lead. In your name we pray. Amen.